Pathfolk, and welcome to the actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. Uh, this is After Party 71, covering episodes 211, 212, and 213. I like that we're the actual play of it. We are yes, the actual are play. The... I don't know. I never actually looked. There might be other people doing Mummy's Mask. I honestly don't know. For the Pathfolk, we are the actual play of Mummy's Mask. So, that is true. You know. The definitive edition, if you will. Yes. <laughs> the find the path version, regardless. These episodes are our first foray into the inner sanctum of Hockatep's Pyramid. Sure. Right now, our episode 211 is where we had just finished opening the doors and we went down and met Sahila, the spirit of Sahila, who's bound to the artifact that powers the pyramid. Yeah. She was a sassy little old lady. I loved her and delightful. her many husbands and wives or whatever. <laughs> Many husbands. She was just like, ah, you know. (laughs) Yes, I I wouldn't mind moving on and seeing my husbands again, provided they weren't all too dumb to find the door to the afterlife. (laughs) Yes. I love it so much. She's so good. (laughs) But she did tell us that the the pyramid is self-repairing, and that's Mm -hmm, what the crash is technically what broke some of the artifact or damaged the artifact, and that's why it hasn't taken off yet, but we don't mm-hmm. have very much time until it's finished repairing itself and takes flight and then all the tomb's defenses activate, which sounds terrifying. Yep. <laughs> yep. Sahila did tell us that we had to get the pectoral from Anmec to enter the other half of the, uh, sanct- or the sanctum down there. And oh she yeah, that creepy. we should probably definitely get uh, Hakatep's wife before we go fight him because she'll just keep healing him. Queen Crazy Eyes. Yeah, yeah Queen yep. Crazy Eyes. Yeah, she's yeah, crazy. Yeah, we don't like y'all. her. She's bad. She should feel bad. Yeah, and that other lady just took her skin off like a jacket and threw it in the floor. It was horrible. Yeah, we did go down the other hallway and find Anmec, who did rip off sure. her skin and turn into a large sized creature and just, you know, throw that off to the side. Nah. Yeah. While also animating what she called the new Akumen. So, yeah. so sure, what's the deal guys. with the skin? Yeah, how does she uh, tell us all of her situation? Uh, her situation personally or her situation with the skin? All of it, really, uh, honestly. Uh, all of the above. How did she become one of these things? Because I'm assuming that's not what she was when she was alive and serving as Hakatep's, like, announcer person. No, I mean, her whole thing was that she, I mean, she's one of the many people that loved Hakatep. Because dude had a really high charisma score. Yeah. So, sorcerer. Uh, sorcerer. So, you know. Yeah. Makes but sense. you again, you you saw in one of the mass visions that she was one of the people that uh, showed up and basically said, "Hey, I'll marry you." And then Hawkeye's <laughs> like, "Nope, I'm a no." I'm a I like one crazy woman eyes over here nope. for yep. some reason. Cra- crazy relative sure. of mine is the yeah. match for me. Like Helen Bonham Carter over here. <laughs> hey, don't put that on Helen Bonham Carter. <laughs> she is my lady, so don't Woman you? Woman has yeah. crazy eyes, though. <laughs> Not she can, like she that kind to. of crazy yeah, eyes. No, she she can do crazy. That doesn't Fair. mean she is crazy. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, she's multi talented. Like so many people here, she just died. So many of these bodies were just dead until Hakatep got up and basically said, and you're all so undead So why now. are some of them coming back as crazy, specific undead? I really expected it to just mostly be mummies in here. I guess that was me just, you know, oversimplifying it. Just to I was like, bury it up. Yeah, I was like, they were mummified, so mummies. But now she's ripping her skin off. And What it, what it feels like is that Hakatep must have done some kind of like copples kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so different people come back with different stuff just based on how they reacted to that. Because otherwise he went in and specifically raised her as this kind of creature and raised his wife as something else or whatever. 
Yeah, it's very similar. I think you know Jordan basically hit the nail on the head there, where it's you've hey. seen this power from Hakatep before. Although in that case, it was from the mask and the whole call pulse thing that the mask can do. The negative energy generated from two fragments of Hakatep's body coming back together, his body and his mind. Although you still possess his soul. Basically rejoining themselves. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she is a... Uh, what um, happens when she rips your skin off? Okay, first off, Ecochet sounds French. Is that based on any kind of mythology? Specifically, Ecochet is a... Uh, a word French in origin of a Sounds figure right. drawn, painted, or sculpted showing the muscles of the body without skin, normally a figure study or other work as an exercise of, for a student artist. So basically like the Renaissance era. Yeah. They teach you to do that kind of stuff in art school because it helps you learn about form and how muscles work. And yeah, somebody's arm's not going to bend that way. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, from what I understand, it's been kind of like extended for those... Uh, or those exhibit, exhibits called Oh, Body Worlds, the yeah. Body Worlds kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, you know, and that's a similar thing here where they just took a, you know, this is a word that means drawing skin thing and apply it to a skinless giant monster thing. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. What happens when she skins you? Yeah, she can seize skin as a supernatural oh. ability. Yeah, she tried to seize citrus skin. It's true. It was not cool. Uh, but basically, when she uh, damages a target with her rend ability, so she has to hit with both attacks before she can do this. At which point, it's automatic. I was going to say, it seemed like she was hitting us fairly easily. Yeah, she has a plus that was 27 to hit. So. Oh, wow! So, I think my, my armor class is a 32, because she's not a haunt, which gets me a bonus. Yeah, Masika's AC uh, is a 35, <laughs> and that's still, like, barely got to roll anything to hit her. Yeah. yeah she could eight. roll a negative... T- Negative one or negative two and still hit Hollis. <laughs> <laughs> so first off, it does the rend. The rend does uh, the 3d6 the plus damage. 11 plus bleed, yeah. uh, which does constitution damage and sea yeah. skin. Uh, the sea skin is a DC 25 fortitude save. So it's not a give me, but it's not too bad, mm. depending on who she's hitting. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I have a pretty good chance of making that. Uh, those who fell, it becomes staggered. So okay, that's fair. the first Because you point. don't have skin. Yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're, yep. you've kind of lost your protective layer. You just go into shock <laughs> and die. <Yeah. laughs> the staggered effect is permanent. You also take one point of constitution drain per round. No, oh, really? Oh, wow. Uh, that is also permanent. Oh. Because you're going into shock and you're dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So that does give you some time. Yes. So uh, yeah. basically, the effects can are permanent but can be removed. How? Via a regenerate spell. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Makes sense. I don't think regeneration is an instant. It's not instantaneous if you don't have the limb. Yeah, if the physical regeneration is complete in one round, if the several severed members are present and touching the creature. Okay, that's so if you, you get, get the, the skin, skin back. back. And put it back on you. (laughs) (laughs) But if you can slap the skin back on the person, you can cast Regenerate or Heal. It puts the lotion on the skin or else it gets the flay again. (laughs) Well, but uh, doesn't doesn't the Echo Shade then have your skin like to wear or whatever? Uh, They can crawl into your skin suit as a full round action. I mean, I imagine in the combat, she would just rip it off and toss it to the side because she has three other people to contend with. Yeah. yeah. Again, I just imagine she's got like a little little closet of skins like, you know, Queen Mombi did and, and turned to Oz with all her heads. While it's wearing skin, it cannot use its frightful presence. Uh, and if it takes more than 10 points of damage, the skin is destroyed. Huh. Uh, which is a big problem, of course, if it puts on somebody else's skin, that that person is now dying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, true. So, yeah. Uh, but so they can destroy problem. the skin themselves as a standard action. 
Oh, God. Does that give them anything? That just ensures the other person's dead. I mean, I mean well, yeah. and if they are wearing it, any creatures within 60 feet who see the Escorsese stolen skin destroyed are immediately subject to its frightful presence at a minus five penalty on their will save, which is what she hit you with on that first round of combat. Jeez. Yeah. So, eh. yeah, doesn't really mess around. Pretty yeah, messed up. Gross thing. <laughs> yeah, but Gotta that get that fight, good gross act, out that, right at the end. That fight actually continued into episode 212. It's true. And then after the fight with her, we went to the other room on that side of the sanctum and uh, figured out that there was some ritual, ancient ritual, to bring back a crap ton of people as mummies all in one fell swoop. But mm-hmm. the priests of Set that were in charge of it had like messed it up. Yeah, they put one of those little squiggly lines that go over a letter in like the wrong place or something, and it messed up the whole thing. Yep. Yep. And to be perfectly honest, the uh, the mummified Aquaman can't really sleep on them. They were actually pretty effective. Yeah. Yeah, they were doing surprisingly well. Well, they got hit with a cone of cold right off the bat, though, which softened them up. <laughs> yeah. And that menacing Kopesh thing, that uh, plus four That's bonus cool. for flanking instead of plus two. Oof. Yeah. Pretty useful. Yeah. You know what's also useful? Going invisible and just wrecking face on them. That was yeah, really invisible helpful. Invisible is good. It's true. Uh, <laughs> so what's interesting is that it sounds like they had a plan to bring all these people back before Hakatep was actually raised or something. Like, I, the, the timeline is weird to me. I wonder if it was, again, another precaution that these people were entombed there to serve as his guardians and there would be some sort of trigger that the ritual was supposed to go off if a certain event happened and then, then poof, they're raised to defend the temple. So you think maybe maybe they were ra- they would be raised in the defense of Hakatep's yeah. body kind of a thing? Yeah. yeah. Well, or in the afterlife, he would have these people with him. But yeah, that's the whole idea with getting buried with their servants and... Um, But episode 213 had us exploring that uh, other half of this first part of the sanctum um, where all of Hakatep's sisters were and Mm -hmm. the uh, and Taves, 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 the bard, who sounds actually kind of awesome. Yeah, we did, we unfortunately did him dirty in the name of trying to find the yeah, next part I, of this Masika area. Yeah, feels bad about that. Masuki because, definitely you know, feels bad too because it's like, oops. It's a real bad thing to mess with the tombs of the dead and her and the culture of the Beckon. So she's like, eh, I'm sorry, we thought this was the way. I don't know. know. Citra's kind of like, if anybody's associated with this, they may not be okay. So I think she's kind of just like, until I know for sure, fair well, game. Like I said in the episode, <laughs> it just seems like this guy was, you know, kind of did all the same stuff Masika and Narmer do. Juggle, Pratt Falls, yeah, that kind of stuff. If somebody's writing your stuff on the wall, they're going to write all the good stuff. It's like at the <laughs> funeral, you only say the nice stuff. You don't say if the person was an a-hole. <laughs> so there's a, uh, <laughs> a an interesting parallel there where in, in, in Egyptian hieroglyphs, the Egyptians never lost a single battle. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. they wrote the history there, so of course yeah. they never lost a battle because they never would write that they had a catastrophic defeat. Yeah. This isn't expressly stated, but I think some of my my personal interpretation of it is that Tabes may have been, uh, at the very least, a contributing voice to some of the traps. Because um. Tabes seems like designed the final trap to put on his own tomb. That's hilarious. It's literally called Tabes' Last Jest is the trap ah. for his tomb. So Pratt so, Falls, yeah. but with deadly consequences. It's like, yeah, this the final Pratt Fall. So he and Chisisek had a little meeting and was like, oh, wouldn't this be funny? Somebody might I mean, die. It it really feels like he's probably the one that's like, you know, it'd be really funny to put on that wind shaft to spell magic. That would be hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. Did Hawkeye's sisters ever do anything or did they just keep their heads down during all the shenanigans? 
Uh, no, they just kind of did their own thing. Went they off, got married, got married, they got married left their, crate, their brother and their psycho sister-in-law. <laughs> yeah, I, they're just like, y'all are a lot. I mean, he was gone so much, they probably never even had a family reunion, right? So they were probably just like, and well, they no, got out of that came back eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Did I mean, we ever it's... find out what happened to Neferuset's parents, by the way? I was thinking about that. Oh, yeah. I, I picture them as, oh, never mind. <laughs> what did happen to them? I mean, they may have just died of old age. Uh, you have not found out yet. Mm. Yeah. Wait, yet? That means we're gonna? Are they buried in here, too? I mean, probably. Oh, they might be. God, they're probably <laughs> hanging around with their daughter at the end of this blood trail. I don't know if they loved her, to be honest. They they might have been like, she's a little... She's a little... They took it a little... <laughs> she took it you a, little, know, like, a little too far there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but despite our misadventures in Taves' crypt, we did... Masika did figure out, oh, hey, this isn't symmetrical, so there's got to be something here. And we found the weird column of souls miniature teleportation circle which is actually really cool it's so much really cool weird. Weird. <laughs> yeah. hollis is like i'm writing so many papers <laughs> it's basically like i imagine that it's one of those things it's like okay we need to find a way to make like this place feel really old well i need i want to do a magic circle here but or a teleportation circle but that just doesn't seem like well i've already outlawed cool teleportation enough. here so why don't yeah, we like, teleportation doesn't work so what like what else could i do and then they were like oh let's do this like whole like you know soul passage thing I guess. Cool. well we we also keep hitting on the whole idea of um you know teleportations allowed here but it is still a password thing yeah, yeah. like mm -hmm. all of everybody else has the password yeah but They're as probably... a game designer how do people get yeah. to where they need to go if they don't know the password and this is the only way to the next yeah. phase yeah yeah well what i'm saying is is that you know for him for hakatep he could create it if if teleportation circle was one of his sorcerer spells which that's a really niche kind of sorcerer spell yeah. Yeah. You know, you could put a teleportation circle and you know the password. Uh, or for that matter, if somehow Neferuset had access to it, because she obviously also knows the password to bypass the forbidden spell. Mm -hmm. But then we followed the trail of gross blood to the temple of Set with, with those cool hearts. things. And then the creepy undead golems of, I don't, yeah. Set I don't, guardians. Well, they were yeah. like Set constructs. Guards. Yeah, they're, yeah. Uh, they're undead constructs. Yeah, Elemental yeah. things. And I was like, man, I want to know what's in the heart area, but I know that if we touch that, we'll probably trigger yeah. these guys. So they're Immediately, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it was interacting with the altar and not having, you know, saying a proper passphrase or something mm -hmm. is what's yeah. the trigger for that. Probably some prayer to some Oh, yeah, it's got to be some God. kind of like setite, you know, aphorism or something. Well, then it gets real not set because then you get in there and it's like, okay, we have this teleport or this binding circle. That's cool. But then we have that creepy thing. The creepy the thing. inverted elder sign. Yeah, that's not yes. good. <laughs> Which like, even two is like, and ends. you don't get to know what this is. <laughs> well, we've always kind of gotten the impression that Neferuset was probably really getting her power from Narlathotep or something like that. So yeah. this is not yeah. like. Not surprising at all. Yeah, not surprising. Well, and again, Set is a god of darkness, so the yeah. idea of him being like allied possibly with the uh, the old ones. I don't ones know if Narlathotep or... really has allies or just you know I'm not gonna like murder I mean, you. He's, he's a servitor of Azathoth, but all of them are serv almost all of them are servitors of Azathoth. I mean, but I feel like they're, they've got similar vibes, but they're probably not like hanging out on the weekend, you know. Well, no, I mean Set is neutral evil, not chaotic evil, such as many of the uh, the outer gods are. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so two got rid of that, which is good. Yep. Does it make you crazy if you look at it or something? 
I mean, immediately, no. She's probably using it to call in things from the dark tapestry. Like the little oil slick ooze thing. That's going to murder us? 100%, yeah. 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 The floating ball of uh, horrible ooze. See, all I'm hearing is can't crit. Uh, Can't sneak attack either. No discernible anatomy. Yeah. So that's going to be <laughs> super that's what fun. And, and Sudi's got to touch it. Yes, which yeah. also means if it has any kind of like, it does electricity and fire damage. If you touch it with a natural weapon, I'm going to be hit with it. You may so. want to stab it, to be honest. Yeah, I Sudi won't know it, but I'll have to probably have Sudi get smart at some point. <laughs> I won't go into detail, obviously, here. I will say that it is, uh, it's a variant creature. So oh, it's not Lord. actually taken directly from any of the bestiaries. Uh-oh. <laughs> and it is a interesting, very interesting combination of things. Oh, God. I hate it when Rick says something's interesting. Yeah, we all know that's code for it's going to be bad. And the, the space is so small. Uh, yeah, also you said it was 15 by 15, which means it takes up almost the entire room. Uh, gets a big old dude. Yep, it's going to be fun. Is it a dude if it's an ooze? Could be a dude. Uh, yeah, whatever you want creature so yeah I'm, I'm actually i'm pretty interested by this fight it's got some uh very Maybe interesting it won't abilities be immune to acid and armor can just spit it to death <laughs> that would take such a long time we, we all just retreat back else. and we, behind armor and have him just spitting at it and it's trying to like compress into the hallway M- masika just holds him like a super soaker and it's just like go <laughs> you know? But yeah, so uh, moving on to happier things, we have some emails. Are we down for some emails? Yeah. Let's do it. Our first email is from Katie from Bar Harbor, Maine. Bar Harbor, Maine. Bar Harbor is a cool place. I have a friend who just visited that area, and she said it was just absolutely gorgeous. And the pictures she sent me are definitely gorgeous. Yeah, I'm thinking like trees and like misty lakes. and. It's probably with the harbor in it. You, I would think it would be on the coast. That would make sense. So somewhere oh misty and mysterious. But you're saying you keep saying misty, and my first thought was the Lake of Mist and Vells, uh, which is actually oh. up in Pervoy. That's fun. Mm. That'd be kind of cool. Are there any mountains near there? Yeah, it's bordered by the nations of Pervoy, Mendev, Numeria, and Ibaria. There's a port town over there somewhere. Uh, there's a place called Port Ice. Cool. Port Ice sounds cool. Port Ice. What is Port Ice? Uh, southern bank of the la- the Lake of Mist and Vells. Refuge for ruffians and lake pirates. Oh, uh, lake the city pirates. was once the capital right. of That's the former of nation of Isia. Uh, it has been part of the Greater Bavoy since 4499 when Corval the Conqueror, who I think we actually cast at some point, yep. uh, united the region with its southern neighbor, Rossland. Okay. All right, Port cool. Of Ice. Cool. All right. So Katie from uh, Port Ice, have fun with the pirates. Yar. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Katie says, I've been a longtime listener of the pod starting in late book one, but this is my first email. You have been a longtime listener. Yeah. I know. It's been like three years, four years. I wanted to get in before the end of Mummy's Mass to tell you what an amazing ride it has been. Thank you for letting us all join in for this awesome journey. Well, thank thank you you for listening. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with us. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for this journey. Yeah. Katie continues, I have never played Pathfinder, but have been a D&D player for the last five years. I love our homebrew stories. My friends have some great story ideas, but had always seen posts about the great adventures published for Pathfinder. That's why I decided to give a few Pathfinder podcasts a try to see what all the fuss was about. I tried a lot of different shows, but kept coming back to find the path. Your combination of good pacing, story lore, camaraderie, and fun kept me interested for over 200 episodes now. 
Well, awesome. thank you. We work well, thank hard. Thank you. We try our best. Yes. Thank you. We work hard. Uh, I know this is getting a little long, but I promise there are questions. I love a good story as much as the next person, but Pathfinder and D&D also have lots of fighting. I think it's easy to keep people interested in the story, the out-of-combat stuff, but harder to keep combat interesting. Most of the time in our games, it ends up just being, I move here and stab it, cast the spell, and little more. So here, finally, are my questions, if you would be so kind as to answer them. That's why we're here, Katie. Yep, yep. Answering all the questions. <laughs> what in your mind makes a combat encounter interesting? What keeps you engaged and not checking your phone while waiting for your turn to come back up? Rick doesn't allow us to have phones during the podcast. Nope. <laughs> so that's okay. one thing. We, 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 we banned phones pretty much before like even the podcast. It is generally yeah. good table etiquette to not be looking at a phone unless you're like looking up a spell or something. Yeah. And part of the thing is if you're not paying attention to the combat, if you just kind of glance at the battle mat and are like, okay, well that enemies there my friends here and they're over there so I'm just gonna cast fireball when it gets back to my turn and then disengage for the next 10 minutes when you look up at the map it's not gonna be what it was when you decided you were gonna cast fireball so now yep. all your friends yep. are in the blast zone and then it's like well wait well everybody move what am I gonna and then it just makes the turn take even longer because you haven't been thinking about what you're gonna do as the combat's going on so I've always tried to just pay attention so I can figure out what I'm going to have my character do to keep the pace up because combat is fun but it's also the thing that takes the longest so the quicker people can make their decisions do their turn the, the quicker we can get back to the story stuff which is I think what all of us enjoy a little bit more yep. so one minute fight takes five hours and a five hour walk takes one minute yep yeah yep. and I always, I always think of it as kind of like playing chess like good chess players are always thinking two or three moves ahead and so you have to constantly be reevaluating based on other people's actions so like a good example of that is like I had planned to have Sudi move 50 feet up past two to like you know try to get into a flank with Citra and I had been measuring it for like you know three people's turns to like make sure and double check and triple check that I could make that move and make it work so that I could just execute that and then one of the Aquaman got ne- right next to Masika and two, and I was like, okay, I've got to audible this and do something different because Sudi wouldn't just let Masika just like, you know, hang there. It was easy for me to make that adjustment though because I was paying attention throughout the, the combat on that turn to go, okay, here's what I think I need to do. Here's what I think I need to do. Oops, change it. Now I know what I need to do. So it still doesn't, it, does, it looks like that was my intention all along. Okay. Yeah, pretty much what you said, especially if you're a spellcaster everything every turn that anyone has changes what's happening so much especially high level play you're either going to learn something that invalidates what you were thinking of doing or somebody's going to move somewhere that messes up what you were going to do or you learn a new thing that's very important and so you change um yeah, i would say with spellcasters it's even worse because you also have to know all of your spells and when you get to high level play you probably don't remember every single detail of every single yeah, you spell keep you have up like so. a thousand tabs with all yeah, your spells so keep, in them. keep your tabs open or like tabbed in your book uh all your spells so like you can go and reference them back to like replan as you're going through the the cycle of the turn and if you're the healer you know like with masika i need to be paying attention so i at least have some idea how hurt the rest of the party is so do I need to heal this round or can I get off one more offensive spell before I have to run over there and, you know, make sure Sudi's, you know, not going to die next turn. So, yeah. As far as like, like what to do, I mean, minus pay attention, like that's number one. <laughs> um, but I think uh, our friend Ross does this the best and I think we all try to do it, but we're not nearly as successful sometimes is he really engages during the fight 
as the character, even when it's not your turn. So if like you mm. see something that, uh, you know, that happens like, oh, if there's an ice effect, you know, it's like, <sighs> you know, and you shudder or something or you yell and like just kind of being present for that other person's turn and maybe reacting to what they're doing as your character. It kind of helps build that, hey, this is supposed to be a fight happening in real time. Like, what would you do back to back fight? Uh, you know, all that stuff, because and plus <laughs> it, it, it really helps you, I think, engage with your own turn because then you're kind of cheerleading everybody else on. Mm. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Rachel kind of hit on what I was going to answer as far as staying engaged is make sure that you remember that it is not your character versus this thing. It is your party versus this thing. Mm -hmm. So stay engaged with the rest of the people on everyone else's turn because it's, it's your group. So if the fighter takes a hit, that is your party losing hit points. If the, the wizard gets a critical hit with a scorching ray or something, that is your party getting a critical hit. It's one of the things that this group is so great at is also cheering for one another. If Rachel gets a perfect 20 or Heather gets a perfect 20, everyone gets excited because, yeah. or especially Jordan, because it's so rare, but everyone gets excited. <laughs> what do you mean to Jordan? It's a well, statement. It's true. It's it a is true. We have math behind this. Oh my but God. Everyone, everyone cheers because it's our group is doing good. It's Pathfinder is a team sport. Yeah. And so you you want to encourage your team. There is no yeah. phone in team. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to say was uh, on the first question about what makes a combat encounter interesting. From a game master standpoint, I think a lot of that comes back to being a GM, being a good GM. The exact same as if you're not an encounter. If I say, OK, Jordan, you open up the door. There's a 15 foot by 15 foot room. There's a table in the corner. There's some books on it. That isn't engaging. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. boring. And so it's the same thing of you guys could fight three kobolds and it's just like, yeah, there are three kobolds. You step into the room and you fight the three kobolds. But if, you know, I'm like, okay, you swing and like one of them ducks underneath it, pops back up and goes meep meep and then stabs at you with his sword and all the rest of that. You, you want to keep it interesting and engaging so that people are paying attention. That was actually something I was going to touch on where, you know, Katie said, I move here and stab it and cast a spell and you know, we, we've gotten a lot better since we've started doing the podcast about actually describing, you know, Masika runs forward 30 feet and raises her hand and casts a spell. And, you know, instead of just saying, okay, I move here and I do this. Okay, now it's the end of my turn. If you just try to kind of describe your actions, it feels weird if you haven't ever really done it before at the beginning. But mm -hmm. the more you do it, the better you get at it. And then that also brings kind of that story aspect into the combat because, and again, it's one of those things that you can play off of each other. Like Masika runs past Sudi as he punches out at this monster and, you know, ducks under his hand, under his arm as she's running between them to get to Citra or something, you know, just that's another way to make it interesting. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the descriptive text is what makes the combat interesting because like, mm -hmm. yeah, mechanically, you're just going forward and doing a strike, right? Again, that goes to, back to being kind of engaging, like Fun you're not really to. putting any energy into it, so you're not going to get any energy back from the party and then it just kind of feels kind of flat. I also really enjoy like combat banter. Oh, mm. yes. I also yeah. love combat banter, even though I know I have I have played with some GMs who hate <laughs> combat banter, like literally are like, no, like no table talk. Everything has to be in. It's not in table talk. It's just stuff. like, I'm going to get you. And then you get them like it's fun. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I have had many a character that did the smack talk and it is so yeah. fun. <laughs> or the opposite is also true. And again, you know, I know we're talking about him and he's not here, but Ross is always really good at reacting when his character gets hit. Yeah, where it's just it's like, OK, yeah, it hits you for like 21 points of damage. It's like, ah, Jesus. <laughs> Step back. It's like uh, Octavius, a little help. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. actually yep. playing up. 
And Ross tends to have those really good reactions too when somebody else takes a lot yeah. of hit point damage. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. So it's turning into so a you're not listening Ross kind of thing, to but Ross in Hell's yeah. Rebels or in Tyrant's Hell's Rebels or Tyrant's Grass. Yeah, Ross is <laughs> Ross is really good about Ross is probably one of the best examples of how to keep yourself engaged during combat. So yeah. everybody should follow Ross's example on that. Everyone should um, everyone should subscribe to Tyrant's Grass so that they can hear how great Ross is. Yeah, oh, or yeah. you know he's in Hell's Rebels too, which is our other free show. Patreon.com/slash/find Patreon. Patreon. Katie has one more question, and she says, okay. "With that in mind, bonus question: What was your favorite encounter in Mummy's Mask?" Well, definitely not the one where I almost got flayed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have a favorite encounter. I have a few favorite moments about stuff that's happened, like when on Her- Hurt picked up the severed grandma head and was flying around the room with it that mm. was pretty amazing that was, that was pretty fun yeah yeah so i mean there's it's more stuff like that sometimes that sticks out than the whole fight you know itself i think i have one that springs to mind i think it was the uh, penultimate fight in book three uh when you guys were fighting up against all of the cultists outside of chisisek's tomb and yeah. it became this rolling encounter of you're stepping in, people are shooting at you, there's spells going off, Sudi's flying around to um, to attempt to get, you know, vengeance for Onurus. Oh, there's Kavik. like so many yeah. moving pieces. It's one of the things that, you know, I know we're talking first edition here, but it is one of the things that I like about second edition is that there's so much mobility. And in that fight, there was a lot of, there's an entire battlefield and there's people up on walkways and you're running around between buildings and... There was just a lot going on in that fight, and I found it particularly interesting. And the stakes were really high. Yeah, yeah, I liked that fight because, like, it's it's one thing to just fight nameless cultists, but it's uh, it, it was the culmination of like tracking this person through the desert and trying to get yeah. vengeance, and like it was a very personal kind of moment for the characters that it felt a lot more satisfying. Mm-hmm. It, when it's personal to the characters and it feels like it's something that's been teased and kind of built up to, then it really feels much more satisfying, not just narratively, but like personally for the characters. Cause like, that was what I was going to say was like Sudi punching Kabek in the air was probably <laughs> yeah. my favorite part for Sudi. I mean, the Sarah, that fight was interesting because that was a fight where I found myself trying to figure out how to not kill the bad guy. Cause that was Hollis's friend. Yeah. And so that was, that made it interesting that was one of the fights that always has the gamble that is prismatic spray because mm, Chris, prismatic yeah. spray is such a game changer depending on random chance. For sure. Yeah. I mean, because I can think of a lot of really good ones. The fight between uh, Sudi and the, the Shaitan That was a crazy good. one for chicken. sure. For some reason, <laughs> I, I don't know why it stuck in my brain so much, but the hallway fight with you guys right when you first entered the Sightless Sphinx and oh, there's like, like cultists coming out of every door, uh, Benny Hill style. Oh yeah, because we didn't yeah. check the doors as we were going uh, past them. Oh, that man, one, that, was, that one was fun, entertaining. That was probably my favorite fog, from that book. I, what fog was that? Where is we the fog that makes you forgive your directions? See, and there was these those. That was also in the Sightless Sphinx, where Narmer was leading us around. No, 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 no. no. It was, uh, and there were those guys that were attacking us and stuff. Yeah, you're fighting the stone golems in the Tomb of the Akumen. In the yeah. slow fog. They had the weird heads that could oh, change. Oh, yeah, and they, and yeah, they, they kept coming back. Their heads. Yeah. God, that was a good one. I actually really liked the fight with Sin Surit because we went into it so <laughs> freaking terrified because he owned us the first time. <laughs> and like, so to just kind of go in there and be like, no, bad dino. <laughs> it down. It was just, there was something very satisfying about, yeah, look at what happens when you have time to prep and get ready. 
true. I, I know this is uh, this is going back to the previous question a little bit, but I see that there is also a theme when there's an interesting environmental element that it does make the combat much more interesting when it's enemies on multiple levels or a solid fog or not even an environmental element, but having to take someone alive. When you add these extra yeah. caveats that it's not just two people standing toe to toe waiting to see whose hit points hit bottom first. Yeah. yeah, I would say any fight with a wrinkle is much more memorable where it's like anything that has like, like you're talking about, like verticality to it. Yeah. It's something that's different than God. just two sides just run towards each other and punch each other until one person passes out. I'm going to throw this out there. None of you have played this adventure. Oh. Except for Heather, I think. But so I won't name the adventure for the audience. But there is an encounter in one of the adventure paths that takes place in a tower. And during the fight in the Ted's a tower on a cliff. And during the fight the tower takes damage and falls over. Oh, yes. And then okay. rolls down the cliff. Whoa! And so you're actually running an encounter where you're like making acrobatics checks and like tumbling and all the rest of that. basically do the cartoon run on the tower yeah, run, as it's the, falling, yeah. but stuff's trying to attack you. It's like the water wheel fight from um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Caribbean, where you're just like trying to swing at one another while hanging from like the side of things. It makes me think cool. of the fight from Inception too. In it the was hallway actually, that was a really cool oh, fight. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is one of the single neatest encounters that I think I've ever seen in any Paizo book. That entire adventure path had kind of showcase encounters. And it's something I wish that they did a little bit more. But that was one of the most over-the-top things that I've ever seen. So, again, an interesting environmental wrinkle. Like Hollis getting swallowed, and then the thing jumps into a pit of lava. Ah, that was crazy. <laughs> Gosh, that was bad. But an interesting environmental wrinkle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah. Katie signs off with, love your show and can't wait to see what's next. Well, thank you, so, Katie. Thank and you I, hope, you. Uh, I hope we answered your questions there. Oh, she has a PS. PS, I hope you get a chance to start going to conventions on the East Coast sometime. I would love to go to a find the path get together, but Seattle is a bit too far for me. Mm. Yeah. Fair. It's far for us. So, yeah, I, I would love to. But uh, yeah, we got to find a convention that's out there. Well, and we got to get monkeypox and COVID and... Once Everybody. it is safe to next. travel. Um, yes. Again, yeah. I would love to actually go to Gen Con Live once it would be safe to go to. And for all we know, it might not be in Indiana next year. So we'll see. <laughs> but we do have a second email from Jerry from Bethlehem Township, New Jersey. And he says he has a description in the email. So, okay. Greetings, well, doorkeepers yeah. from Bethlehem Township, New Jersey. For placement purposes, we live in a forest on the side of a small mountain. And when the leaves drop in the fall, our view is of... A valley of small farms. Not what most people think of when they think of New Jersey. True. <laughs> True. All right. So, South Jerry from Bethlehem Township. Yes, Bethlehem Township. I can't read. That should or be something y'all are familiar with. Isger? Um, I mean, Isger has a lot of farms. Isger would be I mean, funny. I also mentioned forests, which, I mean... Forests on the side of a mountain. Yeah. Isger also has uh, forests. What was that gnome village with all the windmills that had the farms around it but was literally in the giant forest. Oh, the windshine oh, yeah. place? In uh, Frisia? I think it was Whistledown? Whistledown. Whistledown. You get to live with a lot of gnomes. There's going to be a lot of shenanigans, but it's going to be awesome. Jerry continues, um, Apple Podcast suggested your show earlier this year, and I'm glad Ooh. I gave it a try. Oh, Even nice. with Rick making everything oddly conditional for the first few episodes, describing what you would see or would do, which I only uh, bring yes. up because Rick <laughs> prefers flagellation over praise. Flagellation, I mean, it's true. flagellation <laughs> over praise. That is true. <laughs> That's just an old tick that both of us had forever. I mean, yeah. However, I do learn. 
Yes. Yeah. I would say. He continues, I love the way the group interacts as players and the role play is fantastic from the touching reactions to character death to the selliness of Narmer. Your effort to keep the body count low is also something I appreciate. Not slaughtering every creature or opponent you come across feels more realistic than hacking and slashing your way through the world. That's it's like my biggest problem with all of the like uh, from soft games is because every now and then I'm I like, there is this friends. amazing story. Why can't I make friends with people? <laughs> no friends. Hey, lady. It's like, oh, I'm the blade of this person. I'm like, I found your brother. You're, you're not going to no. let me tell her I found her brother and nope. rescued him from his captor? No? Nope. We're just going to fight? Okay. You didn't really <laughs> rescue him. You just kind of killed the guy and left him in a weird... That's rescue. I know, but I know who your brother is. <laughs> you want me to help? I know who your brother is. We don't have to fight. We could be friends. Yeah. I know. And that happens, like, a lot. There there, there are many areas where I'm like, dude, I, j I could just, <laughs> just like, be so, all buddy-buddy. So back to, the, back to the previous, you know, questions and all the rest of that stuff. Another way to make encounters interesting is by not actually having them. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes a social yeah. encounter is actually more interesting than an encounter. Like the time encounter. Masika and Hollis had to talk to that one Sphinx and the sightless Sphinx, and we're like, "Yeah, we'll go. We'll just take our people. Yeah. We'll just leave." Yeah. Sudi was crazy, so he was in a yep. bag. I was unconscious in a bag. It was like the polar opposite of when you guys talked to that uh, five-headed Naga guy, where it was just that like you could have just had a you could have had a conversation. I tried. He was occasionally. Rude things go belly up. It just happens. Yeah. Much like um, negotiations in the real world. Occasionally yes. things yeah. just Occasionally. go wrong. Jerry says, my only firsthand experience with Pathfinder is the PC game Kingmaker, but listening to Rick GM is like a masterclass in RPG rules and adventure management. I oh, feel like you. I have a much better understanding of the game now. Thanks, Rick. That's what you You're put welcome. on your resume from here on out. Adventure management. management. Yes. <laughs> adventure it does management. Sound Business like card, term. Rick Sandage, adventure management. Oh, I like <laughs> it. I like it a I'll lot, actually. It. Yeah. <laughs> also, GM masterclass. It's not the first time I've heard that, so thank you. You should teach a masterclass and charge yeah. money for it, maybe. I should, I should start <laughs> yeah. up a Patreon oh, stretch Patreon goal. For, yeah, we'll do a Patreon stretch goal, which is the GM masterclass, and I'd be happy to That's talk about it. That's actually one things. that might happen instead of, you know, Ross quits his job and all the other shenanigans. <laughs> hey, Ross quits yes. his job and you did, like, live streams with patrons and you talked about, like, you set up your class and then when it was done, it would just be safe. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, that would yeah. be pretty cool. Tell yeah. us if you want a GM Masterclass, everyone, and if you yeah. would, like, pay for it. It's more likely than the plushies that everybody would probably buy. <laughs> People really want plushies. I want an uh, armor plushie for me. I mean, obviously, I'm a plushie fan. Like, most people can see behind me. I've got at least four stuffed animals None of them can me. see behind you, Rachel. I'm talking about you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Again, visual things. Visual things for a podcast. Cherry continues. So it is August of 2022, and, and having just finished episode 132, I'm starting to wonder if I'll catch up before the end. Mm. On the other hand, mm. not having to wait for the next episode to be released is certainly nice. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, in 132, you first entered the Sightless Sphinx. There was a point when Hollis was flanking and threatening with, she said, a dagger in one hand and a chicken in the other, which got a laugh from everyone. <laughs> but in Hollis's defense, the concept of chickens as weapons is not without precedent. Ooh, in, the okay. in the Revolutionary War, Captain Jonathan Caldwell's unit from Kent County, Delaware one of Delaware's three counties traveled with a breed of chicken called blue hens, considered to be the fiercest fighters among, oh, blue hens among are chickens. Blue to hens this are day, gorgeous. blue hens are the state bird as well as a mascot for the University of Delaware. That is so cool. I know all awesome. of this because I grew up there, but I am sure Sugar could have told you if you had asked, given her innately high knowledge on chicken history. It's true. Oh, yeah. man. Ah. <laughs> 
That's, I love that it. is both a druid fact and a history fact. So <laughs> I'm double really, points for really that. I'm really, really a big fan of it. Um, Delaware. I do, I do have a question. I'm curious what you think about the kineticist class. Have you or would you ever play one? I played one in Kingmaker, and at high levels, it felt almost overpowered. Oh, Using the deadly yeah. earth and wall blasts with bowling infusion, greater trip, and enduring earth wild talent made for a barrier almost impregnable and very deadly as enemies would get stuck or fall down in the area of effect. With the kine NPC kineticist companion blasting the same, it was like traveling with the portable fortress of death. Maybe the tabletop version is different. Uh. I've looked at the kineticist and thought about playing one. It's probably the most confusing class in Pathfinder it's 1E. It's so confusing. It's got a lot going on, and it is really kind of OP. And it's one of those classes where you really need to plan what you're taking because a lot of the powers work together. So if you want to do the really cool thing, you need to have built up the base to it. So it's one of those classes that's hard to level up just on the fly because if you want to do the really cool stuff, you have to plan it out. So I'm probably the only person who's actually played a kineticist on the TTRPG side. Um, so in my Reign of Winter game, I was GMing and I had a kineticist NPC, mainly because I was like, I'm never going to have a chance to play this and have it make sense. So why not as, as a support NPC? Yeah, he was a murder machine, uh, utterly and completely. Um, you get, you do have to really plan it out, and it is fiddly as all get out with the whole burn mechanic. So I don't know what they're doing for second edition because I know that they're doing a play. I test am for that. really interested about it in second edition. I'm hoping simplify is not the word I'm looking for. I'm hoping they made it streamlined and it's a little bit easier to comprehend without having to. Re it's one of those classes in one E that you really have to sit down and read the entire class. When most of them, you can yeah. just you know read like the first level stuff and go on but well, I yeah think, i think part of that is it is such a customizable class because there are so many different types of abilities that you can get i i've been on the verge of playing a kineticist several times but always ended up changing my mind at the last second it's one of those classes that i think is really cool and really interesting and you can do some really neat stuff with but it's also like I said, it seems very, very complicated. I and mean, it's having, those... having ranged options that hit touch AC that you can yeah. blast off an infinite amount of times is pretty sweet. I think if I actually sat down and played one, I would get it. But just looking at it on paper and trying to set it out, I'm like, you know, mm -hmm. so. But I am really excited to see what they're going to do with it in second edition. Possible by the time that this comes out, the uh, play test for the 2E Kineticist will be done because that's currently going on. Mm -hmm. I know it's very divisive. Because the yeah. kineticist is a class that people that love the kineticist love the kineticist. And uh, I know that there's a lot of debate back and forth over the playtest stuff. For instance, like, I don't think that the playtest has a burn mechanic. I'm not 100% on that. Uh, they do not, no. And uh, so a lot of people are like, well, the burn mechanic is, you know, the most interesting thing about the kineticist. Of like, uh, I'll be interested to see where they go with it. I know that there have been some talks about, like, getting the drain condition or something like that, which can be devastating. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Jerry does sign off. Thanks for putting your heart and souls into the game. The show is great. I'm looking forward to starting in on your other adventure paths. Well, thank you. And I hope thank you enjoy Hell's Rebels. And if you join the Patreon, Tyrant's Grasp. Tyrant's Grasp was killer. Check it out. And if you're, and if you're confused, yep. well, I mean, you've obviously probably listened to some of the Faded Tales and all the rest of that stuff. But more mm -hmm. Ross. Yeah. 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 Get a lot more, more Ross. Ross. Ross is in both of those. That's the real selling point. More Ross. So I think we're, <laughs> I think we're gonna cast a person. That's cool. usually okay. what we do. Yep, yep, yep. Is ca cast in the peoples. Uh, yeah, sure. Herc's like, I guess. I mean, if I you guys we'll want. Herc's like, how many of these do we have left? <laughs> Go ahead and bounce me a uh, d4. I rolled a one. All right, should be interesting. Today we'll be casting 
her infernal magistrix, Queen Abigail II of the thrice-damned oh, House God. of the Throne. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Oh, man. Queen Abigail is the sixth ruler to wear the crown of the diabolical nation of Chiliac since her great-grandmother, Abigail I, took control of the warring noble houses in 4640 AR following the Chelish Civil War. As a young monarch, she received advice from her pit fiend courtier, Gothrek, who also served her great-grandmother, Asmodeus himself provided an Irenes, Countess Lirothella, to serve as the young queen's instructor. Beautiful and ruthless, in addition to being a powerful sorceress, Abigail makes a strong leader for Chiliax. According to rumor, Abigail is an immature, demanding, and spoiled ruler, but she has nevertheless proven herself to be a vicious fighter on the political scene. Ironically, whispers say that her fiendish advisors reign in her darker impulses. What is certain is that her quick wit and daring schemes can only help Chiliax regain some of its lost imperial glory in the years to come. I know exactly who I'm casting for this. Yeah, I have one that's going to be a really weird choice, I think, but I'm pleased with it. Okay, so I know Abigail is, I think, supposed to be a little bit younger, but... um. The first person that popped into my head for this was Catherine Zeta-Jones. Huh, interesting. Mm -hmm. She's very pretty, and she has that, you know, look, and I think she could pull it off. She's in a wide variety of roles, so yeah, that's going to be that's gonna be my pick, is Catherine Zeta-Jones. All right. Okay. So I'm actually going to go with somebody who's not an actress. <laughs> All right. Okay. But she fix, fits the look, and I feel like she could pull it off. I'm going to go with Billie Eilish. Oh, okay. Because, uh, like, okay. almost every picture of her, she kind of looks, like, bored and almost slightly psychotic, which is why I love her. <laughs> um, and just she has that tone of voice. Like, I mean, if you've listened to any Billie Eilish song, like, I just, I feel like she could stand up to a devil and be like, do my bidding. Okay, apparently no one is agreeing with me. Yeah, on this. I'm, I don't really. I'm going with it. I'm going with that Billie Eilish. That was very interesting. I mean, it's interesting, but I like my choice better. I just love Billie Eilish. I think she'd be a great choice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> she just sings to you the whole time in a dissonant voice. I'm hitting X for doubt over here. <laughs> hey, usually it's Jordan with the weird choices. I was going to say, usually it's me. Yeah. Well, give it a second because it might be me too. Who knows? <laughs> All right, Rick, what you got? All right, so I'm going for uh, a little bit out there. She hasn't had a lot of like major headlining roles with one notable exception, but I'm going to go with Amy Bailey. Uh, she plays uh, Queen Quinthris in uh, Vikings, who's like the crazy queen of Mercia. Very good at looking intimidating and all the rest yeah. of that stuff. She has the uh, the right appearance, the uh, the natural piercing, that very piercing gaze, and uh, and plays crazy particularly well. Amy Bailey. So if you have not watched her in uh, in that, I think she's had a couple of bit roles in everything else since then. So I'm very surprised she hasn't actually like caught her big, big break, considering that she was so good in Vikings. Okay. Kristen Ritter. She's got kind of, well, obviously like Jessica Jones, Nightbooks, which was actually kind of a cute movie. She can do like really conniving and like just brutal with words. Uh, and she has like a really good look about her yeah. that I think works nicely for a throne. Fair enough. All right. As is my as is tradition, I have picked somebody kind of out there. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, so uh, I saw a picture of Abigail Thrun, and she's got the like piercing stare thing. And for some reason, it clicked over to me to uh, Amanda Seyfried. 
who maybe I'm saying that correctly or maybe not, but she's got those eyes, right? Like she's got the piercing look really down and she's been in good Lord, like everything. Like her IMDb is like one to two movies a year. She's probably most famous for mean girls and mama. Mama Mia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But she's also was like in Les Mis. She's been in a number of TV shows. Jennifer's body. She was in Jennifer's body and I loved her in that. Yeah, like she's she's been in a bunch of stuff and I always do enjoy her performances. Um and yeah. as somebody, like I said, who can pull off the mean the mean girls kind of thing of like, you know, being like very haughty and like, you know, stuck up and just a little evil, you know. Mm. Yeah. All right. Alrighty, Pat Folk. Well, there are your choices for Queen Abigail. Um, we have an interesting bunch this time. It's a very <laughs> interesting bunch. You can vote for those over on our Discord in the Casting Powerful Folks channel. So yeah, go vote or let us know if we're all totally off base and yeah, be like, no, true. no, y'all, this person, what the crap? So, you know. <laughs> just just think about, this will be what the FTP crew has to live with in uh, in Hell's Rebels. So, you know. Sure. Yeah, that's true if we yeah. ever meet through. <laughs> yeah, if they, if. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for your emails and thank you for listening. And uh, don't forget, you can check us out on our Discord. Like I just mentioned, there's a bunch of other stuff there. There's chats about the episodes. There's virtual tabletops and play-by-post games. There's chit-chat about video games and movies and all sorts of shenanigans. And we also have our Reddit. And then, uh, yeah, you should check out the Patreon. You know, if you like Mummy's Mask, you probably will like Tyrant's Grasp. And there's Ross, which is, you know, Ross is awesome. Ross and uh, there, awesome. by the time that you listen to it, there may or may not have been some uh, some new things in the works for the uh, the Patreon. So uh, yes, we've got some some plans going into the new year for that. So stay tuned for some announcements for that in the near future. Yes, ha 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 ha. Making it bigger and better than ever. Good luck out there, Path Folk, and we'll we'll see you next time, or maybe well you listen to us next time. You know what I mean. Good luck. We're there in spirit <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Bye, Bethel. All right. Bye, Pathful. Bye. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyrighted 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.